0: good morning again and welcome to bible center my name is matt i'm the senior pastor here will you join me in just thanking our musicians for all they do i think they were here at like 4 a.m this morning uh getting ready something like that it's great having you with us i want to let you know where we are in the series we're almost done with the loving like jesus series this is week number six Uh, of seven and each week we have gone through a different passage in the gospel of Luke looking at a different group of people uh, to whom Jesus showed love. For instance we saw that in Jesus's society children were considered to be right down there with the animals and every time Jesus interacted with children he elevated their status. Uh, We saw the week after the similar was true with uh, women and how that in Jesus's culture in Jesus's time they were not considered anywhere close to being on par with men and every time Jesus stepped in and ministered to a woman he elevated her status he honored women he respected women And throughout this series we've looked at different groups like the poor and those who are sexually broken and other quote unquote categories we're going to look at the what we call categories in a moment but today we're going to look at the next group of people to whom jesus ministered and that is the rich jesus loved rich people too and he still does before we dive into our passage i want to recommend a book to you this is a book i just found this week i was googling some things Uh, There are so many good recommendations in this book, uh, Befriend by Scott Sauls. This is from our kind of church, conservative evangelical church. You'll love this book. A lot of great men and women recommend it. And it was just published last year. But in the table of contents, there's a whole list of people uh, that Jesus loves. And I wish our staff had found this book several months ago. But uh, it's like how to love friends and how to love significant others, how to love people you can't control. to love dysfunctional family members. I know none of you have any of those, but if you know somebody who does, they'll like this particular book. Uh, how to love children, how to love the sexual minorities, the sexually broken, bullies and perpetrators, or the rich and the powerful. Again, I just really wanted to highlight that book to you. All the details are in your bulletin notes. I think you'll be blessed by it. How can we live holy godly lives? for which we'll never compromise and yet love the world around us. That's what this series is all about. I want to tell you a story about this past week. I went to the Capitol to pray at the Senate on Monday. I don't tell you that to name drop or give you the impression that they called me for my great praying ability or for my infinite wisdom. They didn't call me for any of that. Actually, most of the pastors in Kanawha County get invited to pray at the Senate or for the House at least once during the year. And so it's a yearly thing. Wanda Castro makes it possible. So about four or five months ago, Wanda emails me and says, hey, would you mind praying for the Senate again this year? And anytime time I go to the Capitol, I look for two things. One, I want to pick a date that's relatively uneventful or quiet for me. And I want to pick a date that's relatively uneventful or quiet at the Capitol. And so I assumed that a Monday morning would be a great time to go. So I said, yeah, book me for March 5th. What could possibly be going on in the Capitol on Monday, March 5th? So I show up there and I took Riley with me. Riley, of course, was out of school. She's our sixth grade grade daughter. And Wanda said, come to the governor's entrance. So we come around to the governor's entrance. We're walking in and this big black suburban passes us. I'm like, no way, this isn't going to be him. Sure enough, out walks uh, Governor Justice. I got a chance to meet him. Riley got a chance to meet him. And as we're walking away, I think we have a picture to show you. He uh, hadn't quite put his tie on yet. Uh, but Riley, as we're walking away, she says, Daddy, that is a big man. So yeah, I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. Uh, but it was good to be there that day. After we got Riley settled and I walked down to the floor, Again, I, my motive is to bless the Senate. My motive is to pray God's truth uh, to people who are on the front lines trying to serve the Lord, especially on a day when there are other people on the front lines trying to serve the Lord and there needed to be a compromise uh, achieved. And so as I'm sitting on the floor, the gentleman walks up to me and uh, he was, uh, works for, I won't say where, but he works in the Capitol, walks up to me. He had heard the message last Sunday about the prodigal son. And he began to tell me how God had spoken to his heart last Sunday. And he said, I saw myself in that story. In many ways, I'm the prodigal son. And so again, I'm trying to bless them and they're blessing me. A 26 year old lady walks up and she says, Pastor Matt, I don't think you know me, uh, but I knew you and your wife. I was like a baby when you were in high school, which made me feel really, really good. That's not a way to honor somebody who's older than you when you first meet them. And she said, I've started going to your church and I love the Young Professionals class. They meet every Sunday at 1030 up in that classroom. I'm finding community, I'm finding friendships, I'm growing deeper in God's word. I love your church. So again, I wanna bless them and they're blessing me. And finally, a lawyer walks up before we started the session and he said, the last three weeks I've had my son in the services because I wanted him to experience the 75th anniversary. He was there for Eric's sermon. He was there for Sean's sermon and he was there for your sermon. And I can say that after three weeks being in big church, as he called it, my son still talking about Jesus and he loves Jesus more than ever. Thank you for being a church that's interested in families and preaches God's word. So needless to say, before I get up to pray, my heart is already warm. I'm hearing what the Lord is doing. And Monday reaffirmed this truth in my heart, that Bible Center has a long history of reaching professionals in Charleston. We have a 75-year history of reaching people regardless of their social class or how big their portfolio is and loving people right where they are. And we want that tradition to continue. Here's the main point we're gonna learn this morning from the story of Zacchaeus. The main application is simply this. Jesus calls us to love the up and outs just as much as we love the down and outs. Jesus calls us to love the up and outs just as much as we love the down and outs. What does, people, what does Jesus think about those who have money and power? Does Jesus love poor people more because they don't have money Does he hate rich people more because they do? Why does Jesus want me to reach out to someone who has more authority or power or money than me? What if I get nervous? That's like the number one question that we get asked. What if I get nervous trying to build a relationship with somebody? Let me go ahead and just level the playing field for a minute. Someone who struggles with some social anxiety. I know what it's like to be nervous. I think it is a cruel joke for God to give a lead pastor a little bit of social anxiety. It's cruel, makes me depend on him more and more. I know what that's like, but this morning we're going to see that Jesus loves people right where they are and he wants us to love them right where we are. So I invite you to follow along in Luke 19 and let's learn how we can impact Charleston like Jesus impacted Zacchaeus. If you stand with me out of respect for God's word I'll read Luke Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through a man there was there by the name of Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So why? Why does Jesus call us to reach out to the up-and-outs as well as the down-and-outs? Three reasons. Number one, rich people are just as broken as poor people. Rich people are just as broken as poor people. It says in verse number one, Jesus is traveling through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Most believe that he's about 10 days from the cross, 10 days from his death. And he's stopping over at a popular resort town. Jericho was considered to be an oasis in the desert. Uh, one Roman historian called Jericho a little paradise. The wording of Luke 19 means that Jesus was looking for room and board, as often people who traveled through Jericho were looked for room and board. But Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a short man. Now, I've got to ask, and I want to be politically correct. How many of you grew up singing the song Zacchaeus was a wee little man? Anybody do that? Yeah, you probably were thinking it. How many of you are thinking it while we were reading Luke 19? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's politically correct to make short people jokes. Um, I love short people. They're really down-to-earth folks. I love them. And I don't want to... I know I'm going to get an email for that one. Um, Let's move on. But Luke tells us not only was Zacchaeus short, but he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Back in his day, men like Zacchaeus were hated, not only by the Romans, but also by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews because they were considered to be sellouts. Why in the world would they forsake their ethnicity, forsake their heritage, and work for Rome? Tax collectors in this day not only collected the amount that Rome said to collect, but they would often collect more than the price of tax. And so they would pocket the difference. When you think about tax collectors, think of the sheriff of Nottingham. Or maybe think of Negan on The Walking Dead. He wasn't just a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He was the arch tax collector, the kingpin of the cartel. Probably had a group of partners uh, that worked with him. But every time Luke mentions the rich, or every time Luke mentions specifically tax collectors, Luke speaks of them with great affection. And he shows six times, this isn't in your notes, but if you want to write these down, six times Luke shows that Jesus loved tax collectors. In Luke 3.12, tax collectors lined up to get baptized by Jesus. In Luke 5, Matthew, also known as Levi, was a tax collector who became a disciple. He was the one who wrote the book of Matthew, the first book in our New Testament. In Luke 7, tax collectors accepted Jesus when the religious leaders didn't accept Jesus. And in Luke 15, 1, tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus when he told the story that we heard last week of the prodigal son's. The last instance before this of the tax collector is in Luke 18, 13, when the tax collector went up into the temple and prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So Luke knew exactly what he was doing. Again, he's highlighting how Jesus loved the poor, how Jesus loved women, how Jesus loved people who were broken in specific ways. But here he's highlighting how much Jesus loved the rich. And Dr. Luke knew this would be important for the early church, not to think that somehow God loved a certain group more because they had less money, or that God loved a certain group more because they had more money. Now, the New Testament is filled with warnings about money, and Luke gives us three. In Luke chapter 6, on the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus warns us that riches can keep us from depending on Jesus. In Luke 12, Jesus tells of the fool, of the rich fool who builds bigger barns. He has so much stuff. He just keeps building bigger barns. And in Luke 12, 20 and 21, God said to him, you fool this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Who then will get what you have prepared for yourself? In Luke 18, Jesus ministers to the rich ruler. Tradition says he was a young ruler, the rich young ruler. And in Luke 18, Jesus tells him this, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So how do we reconcile all that with the story of Zacchaeus? Like, sounds like Jesus hates the rich. No, Jesus is warning about the danger of money depending on money, more than we depend on God. In the Bible there are plenty of rich people who love Jesus and serve the kingdom. Job was the most godly and wealthiest man on earth. Abraham had land and cattle. Solomon received great wealth along with his wisdom. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea both were influential moneyed men and they bought the tomb for Jesus. Never does scripture condemn any of these men and women simply for having money. Think of it. In the Garden of Eden, before sin, this was a paradise. At the end of the Bible, at the end of time, heaven is going to be a paradise. You've got gems and streets of gold and all this beauty. Some would say that sin actually broke the world and caused us that kept us from living the way God intended us to live. that's exactly the case that we see in this story and so many others. Money is not the root of all evil. What is the root of all evil? The love of money is the root of all evil. I've heard it once and I've heard it a dozen times. Hey, Pastor Matt, money's the root of all evil. And I want to say, no, it's not. It's the love of money. It's not a matter of how much money we have in our accounts, it's a matter of how much does money have us. Does money control you? Is it what you live for? Is it what you think about? And by the way, can you be a lover of money and not have any? Absolutely. If it's still all you think about, all we were consumed with, it is still a problem whether we have it or we just want it. Now, from this point of the sermon, maybe you're thinking of somebody in your family or somebody in our city that really needs this sermon, right? You're probably thinking, man, I wish so-and-so, I hope so and so's here at the 1030 service. They need this message. I want to invite you for the next few minutes until we're done, not to think about that person anymore. But instead, let me invite you to put yourself in Zacchaeus' place and say, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this story? The truth is all of us are more rich, are richer than we think. I learned this week that the average person in the world lives on $2.50 a day. Excuse me, nearly half the world's population lives on $2.50 a day. I spend more than that on coffee a day. According to Forbes Forbes magazine, the typical person is in the bottom 5% of the American income distribution. That person is still richer than 68% of the world's inhabitants. According to Madeline Levine's Price of Privilege, she writes, America's newly identified at-risk group is preteens and teens from affluent, well-educated families. In spite of their economic and social advantages, they experience among the highest rates of depression, substance abuse, anxiety disorders, somatic complaints, and unhappiness of any group of children. As many as 22% of adolescent girls from financially comfortable families suffer from clinical depression. This is three times the national rate of depression for adolescent girls. I read those stats not as a condemnation, but as perspective. I have daughters. Some of you have daughters, you have sons, you've got children, you've got grandchildren. Even if you don't have kids, you've seen kids, you work with kids and you know that the problems that we have are the same problems that others have, even if they're not in our social class. We can just conceal our problems behind white picket fences but they're still the same problems. And so when you see these statistics, the point again is for us to say, Dear Lord, show me how I can find my satisfaction in Jesus, not in my stuff. We're all richer than we think we are. And all of us could rely on the Lord Jesus. I know I could far more than I do. You know, one thing I'm learning when I see the story of Zacchaeus or I meet people in town or getting to know you as our church members, I am learning that no matter what your social class, we all have basically the same things in common. We all want a good meal at the end of the day. We all have a favorite baseball cap that we like to wear. We all have a favorite restaurant here in Charleston or otherwise. And I'm learning that a person's financial status doesn't dictate what their favorite restaurant might be. It might be just hot dogs down on the corner but we're all common in that we're broken and we're in need of Jesus. And so this morning God calls us to see the world through the eyes of Zacchaeus and to realize that Jesus loves broken people no matter how much they're financially worth. So why else should we love people who are the up and in? Why should we love people of influence and of power? The second reason, is because Jesus seeks rich people just like he seeks poor people. Jesus not only loves them, but he seeks rich people just like he seeks poor people. Why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? We don't know for sure, but we know he was excited when he found out Jesus was coming into town. No doubt he had heard of Jesus' miracles, he had heard of Jesus' authority. But I have a hunch why particularly Zacchaeus was excited to see Jesus. Don't start a church on this. Don't start your own denomination. I'm not being dogmatic about this. This is just a hunch. I think that Zacchaeus saw the change in Matthew's life. Remember in in Luke chapter 5, you have Matthew, who's also named Levi. He's a tax collector. He is converted. He decides to follow Christ. And before he leaves on his journey to be a disciple of Jesus, he throws a party. And it says in the middle of of Luke 5 that he invites his fellow tax collectors. We don't know who they were. I have a hunch Zacchaeus may have been at that party. Even though Zacchaeus was his boss, he was the chief tax collector, you can imagine as Zacchaeus kind of slips in the back and kind of sets in the shadows and he's like, what is really going on here? Is this legit? I know Matthew and he is slimy as slimy can be. Who is this Jesus he's going to follow? I bet it doesn't last a week. A week goes by and it still lasts. A month goes by and it still lasts. Eventually God uses Matthew to write the first book of our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He has seen the change in Matthew's life. And I believe that over a period of time, he wanted that change for himself. We don't know why the reason, but we know he wanted to see Jesus when Jesus came to town. The Bible tells us that he was short and so he couldn't see Jesus. But here's another hunch. I don't think that was the only reason he couldn't see Jesus. Just kind of thinking about it and imagining the story this week, anybody who wants to get up and see the front of a parade typically can, especially if you've got little kids, right? Remember when the elephants and the circus used to come to town and and all the kids would run out and they'd want to see the circus? Typically, even in a Christmas parade, kids can slide to the front. Shorter folks can slide to the front. Anybody who's decent should have let Zacchaeus slide to the front to see the parade. But I believe they didn't do it because not because he was just short, but because he was a tax collector. He was hated. And so you can picture Zacchaeus coming through the crowd trying to say, excuse me, excuse me, I want to see who this is. And he's trying to break through and they're about to let him through and they realize it's him. So they give him an elbow to the eyeball. Like, no way, man. I don't want you anywhere near me and near my family. Go away. And so Zacchaeus couldn't make his way through the crowd. And so he decides to climb a tree. Let's stop there just for a moment. And I wanna say that if that's you, if you feel as though you've been trying to get to Jesus, but you've been hurt by the church in some way, in some fashion, let me encourage you to keep trying. The very fact that you're here shows that you're still trying. And I wanna say on behalf of the established church for 2000 years, church can be a wonderful, wonderful place, but church can also be a very, very dangerous place. Because not only are there people who want to do good for the world and do good for the community, but there's this element of religion. And if we're not careful, religion can make us mean. You ever notice that? Like maybe you've got a, an unsaved friend and, and they're not a church-going person, but you love them and you know that if you broke down in the middle of the night 100 miles away, they would drive to come and help you. They're not a follower of Jesus, but they're a good person. But you also know some believers that you're like, not only a hundred miles, I don't want them sitting anywhere near me in church. I know these people. Hey, the church is filled with people, broken people, just like me. If Bible Center was perfect, the day I became its senior pastor, it ceased to be perfect. That's not the time for you to say amen, right? No amens about that. It's, we're broken. So if you've been coming back to church or trying to find your way back to God, keep pursuing Jesus. If you can't get through the crowd, forget the crowd. Climb a tree. Get in God's word. See what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have to say about Jesus. And I think you'll be blessed just like Zacchaeus was blessed. But Zacchaeus climbed the tree and Jesus knew right where he was. Picture if you're Zacchaeus up in that tree and Jesus stops beneath you. You're looking down, you're seeing Jesus through the leaves, you don't think Jesus can see you. Jesus walks down the road, he stops and you're thinking, why is he stopping? And he starts to look up and you're thinking, oh no! I thought I was hidden. And Jesus looks at him eyeball to eyeball. What do you think Zacchaeus thought Jesus was going to say? I think he was probably thinking to himself, man, I'm found out. Jesus knows how bad I am. Jesus knows all that I've done. And now he's going to agree with the crowd. And he's going to say everything I've done wrong. Here goes. His life flashes before his eyes. But instead, Jesus says, Zacchaeus. You come down, for I'm going to your house today. Some of you sang that growing up. Going to he invites Zacchaeus to come out of the tree and welcome him into his own house. The Greek words here that are used are the words for room and board. He's not saying, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out and have coffee. He's saying, Zacchaeus, I want to come and stay at your house. We're going to eat dinner. We're going to talk until late in the night. I want to be your friend. Now, Zacchaeus is probably thinking, why would you want to stay with me? There's a lot of religious people you could stay with. There's a lot of people that cross their T's and they dot their I's just right. Why would you want to stay with me? And Jesus quickly shows him this is not a a mask. This is not a cover-up. This is not a stunt. He is doing it because he loves sinners. He loves Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus would soon learn to love him. Jesus sought Zacchaeus before the foundation of the world. Jesus sought Zacchaeus, which is why Zacchaeus sought him. I love the old song in the Trinity hymnal that goes like this. Tis not that I did choose thee, but Lord that could not be. My heart would still refuse thee hadst thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me hast cleansed and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. Twas sovereign mercy that called me and taught my opening mind. The world had else enthralled me to heaven's glories blind. My heart owns none before thee for thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing if I could love thee thou must have loved me first. How does Jesus seek the Zacchaeuses of the world today? How does Jesus reach these professionals, these people who are the up and out in Charleston? How does he do it? And the answer is he does it through you and me. God uses you where you work as your calling to your mission field. God has you living where you live for a reason God has you in the clubs and the sports that you're in for a reason it's not just so that you can have fun although that's great but it's that you can show the love of Christ to people I never can the front lines of Bible Center is not the clergy the front line of Bible Center is you you love you serve you build relationships most leaders and people in general have one thing in common. They are lonely. They need community. They need us to invite them into our church, invite them into our lives, invite them into our groups. Not to always be skeptical. We West Virginians have a bit of skepticism sometimes towards outsiders. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but if you've ever tried to like go away and come back, you see it. When I was growing up, as a 10th generation West Virginian in the 1600s, my ten, my 10 great-grandpa, Israel friend, settled in what was then Harper's Ferry, Virginia. It's now Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. And the story has been told throughout our family that he was uh, weaseled out of some land. The land was supposed to be the width of 100 arrow shots. You can still see the deed, the deed from 1726. It's in the uh, uh, Clay County Courthouse. He was supposed to get this land because he had done some surveying work. But the Baron Fairfax supposedly weaseled him out of the deal. Whether he did or not, we may never know. But I can just see it even in my own culture, in my own DNA, this sense, well, you're suspicious of outsiders. Somebody's going to do you wrong. Or if somebody has influence, they must have, pro- they must have gotten it the wrong way. But the gospel changes all of that. The gospel allows us to see people as human, to see people as valuable to God, to see people just as people. They put their pants on the same way you do, and we can love them as individuals, not for what the world says of them. Jesus calls us to reach the up and outs, just like he calls us to reach the down and outs. What's the last reason Why should we do this? In your notes, you'll see this third and last reason. When Jesus saves a rich person, he helps a poor person. When Jesus saves a rich person, he helps a poor person. Look with me at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount this was extreme excessive generosity the Old Testament the Bible only required Zacchaeus to give 10% but here he's giving 50% there was an Old Testament law that said if you had cheated somebody you had to pay him back what you cheated them plus 20% so 120% was the rate if you have cheated somebody and here Zacchaeus gives back 400% what's going on Zacchaeus has been so radically changed by the person of Jesus Christ that giving for him and blessing people around him is no longer a law, but now it's a love. It's the way to love people like God has loved him. Think about it. Here he is in the tree, hated, despised, no friends, full of guilt, full of shame, alone, And Jesus, the Son of God, comes and without condition and without qualification, Jesus just loves him. And he showers him with friendship. And he wanted to spend time with him. And he wanted to be with him. He caught a glimpse of the grace of God. And now, when Zacchaeus puts his faith in Jesus, he catches a glimpse of God's grace for others. No price is too high because God has changed his heart. People sometimes ask pastor, what's the percent that I should give the foundation for all of us and may God grow mine and may God grow yours should simply be not a percent, but a person, the person of Jesus Christ. God, help us to be cheerful givers, to bless the people in our communities, to continue like some of you who bless Union Mission and and bless Crossroads uh, Women's uh, Ministry and, and who bless FCA and who serve the homeless and who serve in YMCA and YWCA and who give to make Bible Center the place that it is. Your giving is evidence of what God has done in your heart when God saves a rich person God blesses and helps a poor person there's an ancient church tradition that says the apostle Paul wanted to make Zacchaeus a pastor there's a lot of traditions I like to read them and share them we don't know if they're true but tradition tradition goes like this that the apostle Paul wanted to make Zacchaeus the bishop of Caesarea which was a large coastal town Very wealthy town. So you can hear what Paul is thinking in his mind. Here's a guy who understands wealth. Here's a guy who wants to follow Jesus. I'm going to make him the pastor of a really wealthy city, the, the church in the city. Tradition says Zacchaeus turned him down because he wanted to continue to be a businessman who made an impact in Jericho right where God had planted him. I hope that story is true. Think about it. Imagine what would happen if your job became your mission field. And instead of seeing people around you as a threat or competition, you went to work every day and said, how can I bless the people around me? How can I teach my children that their worth comes from God and not from their money? How can I stop name dropping and feeling important just because I'm connected with this person or that person? How can I show true respect to my boss because he or she is a human, not just because they're my boss. How can I no longer be intimidated by the rich and the powerful, but see them as brothers and sisters in need of the grace of God? How can I stop seeing people as a ticket to advance my career and instead see people as people? This is Bible centers history. This is Bible centers heritage. And we heard more about it last week. Last week, we heard more stories about the businessman that God used to start Bible Center Church, Mr. R.M. Maxwell. In 1935, he actually came to Charleston in 1918, the son of a Kansas farmer, an entrepreneur. He heard about this city, Charleston, right along the railway that was, had potential. At one point, they thought Charleston would be bigger than Pittsburgh, which is hilarious. Maybe it still can be. The pirates can stay away, but it still can be. And he, so he, 1935, he's got his growing business. He owns a department store in St. Albans. But according to his own admission in his book, church for him was a place where you made business connections. It wasn't a place where you grew in your faith. He had heard about Jesus as a kid, but it never became real in his life. And in 1935, he contracted typhoid fever and was on his back. A fellow comrade, a fellow businessman came to the hospital and asked him, Roland Matthew, do you know Jesus as your savior? And there in the hospital bed, he realized that it was all convenient to be a Christian, but he never truly wanted to follow Christ himself. When he got well, having received Christ in the hospital, he goes back to his church and he tells his church in St. Albans, I have become a follower of Jesus. I wanna follow the Lord. And there was almost a skepticism The particular church he was in didn't believe the Bible was God's word, didn't believe Jesus was God, and they didn't believe the miracles. And so in 1935, he'd had enough, and he started his own Bible study. It was a little Bible study in St. Albans just off of Main Street. And after a couple years, that Bible study eventually grew into a little church called Highland Chapel or Highland Community Chapel Church. It's no longer in St. Albans, but some of you may remember it. In 1972, it was through the ministry of that church that my mom came to faith in Jesus. My grandma went to that church. My grandpa probably knew Mr. Maxwell, although I don't know. My great grandpas already in heaven. But in 1938, he had a burden for Charleston, and he started some tent meetings in the city, and he, he bought a department store on Capitol Street. And the little church began to meet at the department store, and you heard all about it last week. The rest is History that little Bible study became Bible center. In 1945, Mr. Maxwell was diagnosed with cancer and he died suddenly. They hardly had time to prepare for his death and they thought the church would die. Skeptics, people in the city thought without Mr. Maxwell, there's no way the church will continue. Mr. Maxwell had left some money for them to buy their first building and needless to say, Bible center church continued. Why? Because Jesus sought a man of influence. Because a man of influence found the gospel. And a man of influence never got over it. I'm preaching today to a group of Mr. and Mrs. Maxwell's. And my prayer today is that you'll see yourself far more rich than you are. But that God is seeking you out and wants to do great things in your life because of Jesus. And my prayer today is that you'll leave and you'll love people who are in the, in, the up and out, just like you love people who are the down and out. May we, may we do it for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for brothers and sisters that want to impact our city. Lord, as we move forward with director of city ministries and and reaching those who don't have nearly as much as we have, God, help us also to continue reaching forward for men and women, families who live in our neighborhoods, who work at our jobs, who eat at our restaurants. And God, help us to love the up and outs just as much as we love the down and outs. We need your grace and I pray that because of this service, there would be more Mr. Maxwell's or Mrs. Maxwell's that would go forward with their influence without intimidation, without fear, and just love the city because Jesus says, "Love them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.